0: Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is Crime and Stuff, the podcast you would do if you had nothing better to do.
1: And this is our first podcast, our first episode of
0: 2024. Yes. Yes. And I just mailed out our patrons' little thank yous.
1: Thank you for supporting us on Patreon, people. Yes. It helps us pay for our monthly fees for stuff and our equipment. This may seem like a. And our
0: drugs.
1: Hmm you didn't have to say <laughs> that part As if... i was gonna say this may seem like a pretty low budget operation and it kind of is but we still have monthly website and other costs and yes, other stuff. We so do. we appreciate the people who support us and if you want to be one of those people you can go on patreon and support yes. us and you get a little christmas gift every year and also our annual calendar which is coming out a little later because it takes me a while to put it together. And with the power outage, the power was out for almost a week after that storm and other stuff. So we're doing what we're making a yearly tradition, as we said last year yeah. that we would. The main homicide list from the year that just happened. Yes. Ended. This year was a record. Yay! We set a record. Yeah. Yay. Of 51, and even without the Lewiston shooting in October, where 18 people died, it still would have been a stellar year, a banner still year. still pretty high, yeah. And we'll go through the stats and stuff, but before we do, we have some updates from last year's list. So should we just do those yes. first? Okay. Yeah, um, we're not updating them all. No, we're not updating them all, but ones that we featured or that stood out to us And last year's episode was 134. These updates are going to be kind of brief. If any of these pique your interest, go listen to episode 134. Right?
0: Yeah, I listened to it again the other did day, too. and I.
1: But I do want to say I said some complimentary things about the police who investigated the Logan Clegg yes um, case, the murders of Stephen and Des Wendy Reed in Concord, New Hampshire, in 2022. And I think if you listen to episode 149, I take some of those things back.
0: Yeah, and wow. it just
1: goes to show the difference that sitting through three weeks of a trial in your knowledge about something.
0: Yeah, because, well, most of what we talk about is information that someone has chosen to share. That law enforcement. So we don't know everything. Law enforcement
1: has chosen to share for the most part. Especially now, it's funny that in an age where information is so freely available to find, there's less made available in a lot of ways. It's... So why don't we just go into these yeah. updates? The first main murder of 2022 was Eva Cox. She was killed by her live-in boyfriend, Paul DeForest, in her house in Lubeck on January 8, 2022. DeForest, 67, pleaded guilty in September to murder and criminal solicitation and was sentenced to 32 years in Maine State Prison. Cox, 58, was found dead in the trunk of her car a couple days after she was killed. If you're wondering about the solicitation charge, DeForest... In December 2022, tried to get someone in Hancock County to commit arson for him. It wasn't reported what he wanted burned down. If it was a year earlier, Hmm. I would have guessed it was Eva's house he wanted burned down, since that's what they were fighting over when she was killed, according to a friend of DeForest, who was staying with them. But since it was almost a year after her murder, who knows what it was. Bad, Bad move on his part. As we discussed, the house on the ocean was Eva's dream house, and DeForest was just a dirtbag scum sucker who lived there and leached off of her. And the poor, very nice woman Ugh. ended up paying the price. With her
0: cute little house. And now she you never have... got to enjoy.
1: Right, because he moved in and made her life a living hell, and then he killed her. So you have one from February, right?
0: Yes. I do want to say, I don't know what this sounds like because. My internet is bad, so if my responses seem weird, (laughs) weirder than usual, like they don't match. So, what do you got? Yes, one of the ones I covered from 2022 was Paula Johnson. Oh yeah. Pembroke. She was a drug dealer in Pembroke, which is a small town in Washington County. She was shot in the head. She was also given an overdose of fentanyl in her house. And Rebecca Moores was arrested in July of 2022. This happened in February of 2022. And the update was Rebecca pled guilty. It was just this past December, December 7th. She isn't going to be sentenced until the end of January, I think, but she's facing, the prosecutor has recommended 32 years in prison it was murder she pled guilty to and it made the sentence for murders 25 to life Rebecca was her friend Paula's friend I don't know if you recall the story but Paula she sold heroin and cocaine and other drugs Rebecca was her friend and they had had a relationship a romantic relationship the prosecutors are saying that the motive was robbery Paula had just gotten a large shipment of drugs and she had a lot of money as we talked about if yeah. you're a drug dealer you have a lot of cash and you have a lot of drugs days after the murder rebecca had a lot of cash and a lot of drugs on her but what i forgot about the story was that she <laughs> rebecca zip tied her boyfriend <laughs> and made him stay <laughs> and locked him in a i i shouldn't laugh off. i mean that's a crime that's kidnapping yeah. and locked him in a camper on her property because she was trying to implicate him in the crime and he said he couldn't do it cuz he had Facebook messaged a friend and said, oh, Rebecca's tied me up in the camper again or something. So <laughs> I thought that was interesting. And I forgot that she and I have mutual Facebook friends.
1: None of these people are masterminds of criminal activity. It looks like the log jam in the Washington yes. County courts has eased up because you had that one. And my update is Kim Neptune's murder. Kaylee Brackett was found guilty December 20th on murder charges that she killed Kim Neptune. Neptune 43 of Perry, which is in Washington County, was stabbed 481 times in a purported robbery in April 2022. The jury was hung on the same charges for Donnell Dana, who police believe committed the murder along with Brackett. If you remember from our episode a year ago, Dana talked to the cops. Brackett apparently didn't. And as they say, first to talk, first to walk. I'm not sure, because I didn't follow the trial, why the jury hung on Dana. His bloody footprint was apparently found at the scene. He told police he did a bunch of the stabbing. So I'm not sure what the deal was. Brackett faces a sentence of 25 years to life. She hasn't been sentenced yet. Assistant Attorney General Leanne Zania, who prosecuted the case, told the Portland Press-Herald that the state will reassess the charges against Dana and make a decision about retrying him. She declined to answer questions about why the jury struggled to convict him, the Press Herald reported. And I'll do more on this either in an episode or a main mini in the future, if any of that resolves, probably a main mini. Nicole Kemi was murdered in June 2022. Raymond Lester, 35, of South Portland, was found guilty in November of 2023 of intentional or knowing murder for her death. Nicole, 35 of Bowdoin, was an activist in the black community. Mm. Lester was abusive. She had tried many times to get him out of her life. He ran her over with his BMW during a retreat at Acadia National Park, as I said in June 2022. He took off and was arrested in Mexico, the country, not the town in Maine, a month later. Lester faces 25 years to life and has not been sentenced yet. Mokemi, the mother of one, organized groups and events focused on supporting Maine's Black community and connecting with the Earth. She founded the Rise and Shine Youth Retreat in Bowdoin, which started with weekend getaways for young teens of color and later expanded to farming and outdoors retreat there. I think including not only young people of color but also in the lgbtq community and other marginalized kids and we talked about this not only in episode 134 but also in episode 126.2 yes it's very upsetting it is upsetting brooke mclaughlin speaking of upsetting aiden grant Now 16, was sentenced to five years in Long Creek Youth Development Center for killing Brooke, who just turned 14 Mm. when he killed her in June 2022. District Court Judge Andrew Benson called the sentence inadequate, but said it was unavoidable because of Maine's laws on sentencing juveniles. Children can only be sentenced until they're Uh 21. Benton said, The legislature has offered no middle ground. It's one or the other. There is no hybrid mixture of the two, unfortunately. If there were the court's decision would be much easier. According to the Morning Sentinel, Brooke was stabbed 10 times, quote, after a discussion between Grant and McLaughlin about prior relationships escalated into a physical argument. Grant grabbed a steak knife and stabbed McLaughlin repeatedly before vomiting and fleeing in a red Chevrolet Impala that belonged to the girl's mother. It was Grant's 15th birthday. He would later tell investigators that he was smoking cannabis and drinking vodka at the time As always, Hmm. I question the one living person's depiction of things when they admit they did it, but try to also somehow implicate the victim or downplay their role like they were arguing. As we reported in episode 134, Brooke felt bad that Aiden felt his birthday had been ignored by his family and texted his mother to make sure to bring him home a cake that night. I'm not sure how he could feel bad. His birthday was ignored since it wasn't over yet when he killed her. But I have no doubt that's what he told her. And then she stepped up and did that text. One of the last things she probably did before he killed her. She was a child. She had just turned 14. He was basically a child too. But I'm sure already steeped in the patriarchy. Another senseless taking of a young life. And one final note. The last one of 2022... On Christmas Day was little three-year-old McKinley Handrahan, but there wasn't much information until the mother's boyfriend, in October, Tyler Witham Jordan, 29 of Edgecombe, was charged with murder. And that's... Pretty much all we have on that one there were some long legal things and it got tangled up in all the criticisms of the department of health and human yeah. services and recent other child murders blah 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 so should we move on to 2023 i just wanted to say
0: that it's been increasingly hard to get information about anything and updates. I noticed looking at the murders from this year too. It's like or the homicide. Something it would happen and it would report it. And then you're looking for more information on it. And, and nobody like, ever follows what's up. going on with this.
1: And yes, in previous years, or last year at least, the main department of public safety had put the list for all the years going back. Yes. I can't remember how far back on, and we were all, oh, this is so great, blah blah blah. Well, this year I know they've been busy but that hasn't been posted. So I went through, I actually used newspapers.com and just went through the Press Herald. I did a keyword search for homicide 2023 and I got most of them that way. And I had seen an article where Shanna Moss, the spokesman for the Department of Public Safety, said there were 51. Once I got most of them that way, I went and just searched the internet and found the rest. So hopefully this is an accurate list. These are homicides. Some of, a couple of them were self-defense. And also, right near the end of the year, two women at a dog kennel in Farmington died. They are investigating it and have released no information. So for all I know, it could be 53. Before we start going through the list, I'll give you the highlights, if you want to call them that, of the 51 homicides in Maine this year, 18 were known to be victims of domestic violence and that doesn't mean that others weren't, but these are the ones that were known to be. Nine of the domestic violence homicides were women killed by a male partner or former partner. Seven of those women were shot, two were stabbed. Five of those were murder-suicides. We're not including the suicide in our list of 51 victims. All of them were women who were the murder, end of the murder-suicides. All of them were shot. One of the domestics was a man killed by a female partner, One was a mother killed by a daughter. They were both, both the man and the mother were killed by the same person, and we'll get into that. Two of them were the parents of Joseph Eaton, who we'll talk more about later, and two were his parents' friends. So all four of those, it was a domestic violence related. Overall, away from the domestic violence, 39 of the 51 victims were shot, including the 18 Lewiston victims, though there are several where no cause of death was revealed and they may have been shot too because when I was doing the research there were even more where no cause was and then when I went online and did more research it turned out they were shot. I don't know why police don't reveal a cause of death. I know that in some cases it's an investigative reason but in others especially they've arrested somebody and everything. Yeah that's
0: what I don't understand. It just
1: seems like I think the more information available people need to know why these are happening. We talked at length last year about the false narrative of it being black drug dealers from out of state. Yeah, And if you look at it again this year, it's not the case. We don't have to go into a long thing about it. You can listen to last year's. Domestic violence and guns are by far the biggest issues related to Maine's homicides. And until people recognize that, it's not going to get better. And on that cherry note, I think you have the first homicide of the year, do you not?
0: I do. And my sources for this story are the Portland Press-Herald, of course, Fox, Bangor News, Village Soup, which is like a what a little cooperative of weekly papers, the Penn Bay Pilot, News Center, Maine, WABI, Bangor. But honestly, I got most of the information from Penn Bay Pilot, which stands for Penobscot Bay, which is up in Waldo mid-coast. County. Yeah, mid-coast. And the reason for that is (laughs) I couldn't get on the Bangor Daily News site for some reason. The stories about this case seem to be too new to be on newspapers.com. I could find very little on that. Press Herald didn't cover it that much.
1: And can I just say about the Bangor Daily News, I had a subscription that lapsed. I tried to renew it when I was doing this. And they make it so fucking hard to renew your subscription. And part of it looks like almost a scam, like a fake... Yeah. Thing is, I didn't bother. It's like if you want subscribers, make it easier yeah, for people to resubscribe easy. to your goddamn newspaper. Anyway, I know. I'm sorry.
0: The Penn Bay pilot actually did a good job covering things, even though the, I hate to be mean, but the writing was not very good. Yeah, well. So the first homicide in Maine of 2023 was reported on Friday, January 6th. At about 9.40 a.m., deputies from the Waldo County Sheriff's Department responded to a 911 call. The call had come from 54 Thorndike Road in Lincolnville, which is a town of about 2,300 on the coast between Camden and Belfast. So as we said, mid coast. It's a pretty area. And Lincolnville is where the ferry goes to Islesboro. Is it yes. Islesboro?
1: Vinyl Haven.
0: Vinyl Haven and North Haven. The caller reported an unresponsive mail. I'm sure that's exactly what the caller said. Too. <laughs> yeah. There's an unresponsive mail here. Yeah. When deputies arrived, they found Kevin Currett, age 47, dead and quickly determined it was a homicide, although they didn't release the cause of death right away. The Maine State Police Major Crimes Unit was called in and crime scene investigators worked into the night Friday night and into early Saturday morning. Kevin's body had meanwhile been transferred to the Main State Crime Lab where the office of the chief medical examiner performed an autopsy Saturday morning. By Saturday night, police had arrested Matthew Pendleton, also of Lincolnville. Matthew's mugshot showed a bleary-eyed man with brown hair and a scruffy beard. It just had been his bloodshot eyes. He looks out of it. A photo in the newspapers of the home where Kevin died showed a Cape style tan house with white trim and dark shutters up on a slight hill above the road. A sky blue and white camper with a blue awning sat between the house and a large shingled barn. A motorboat lay overturned in the front yard waiting for spring. A small vehicle that looked like a four-wheeler sat next to the boat. There was another trailer and a pickup truck parked in front of the house. I think that was the crime scene unit. On Tuesday, January 10th, Matthew Pendleton made his first appearance in court. Chad Seer, who knew both Kevin Curra and Matthew Pendleton, was there to watch the proceedings. He told News Center Maine, they went to high school together. They were friends. They were roommates. And then the terrible happened. It's unbelievable. It's unreal is what it is. It's disgusting. Chad said that Kevin Curt was one of his best friends and he was a good person. He said he would give the shirt off his back literally right now. And what oh. is it, 20 degrees out? He'd do anything for anybody. Matthew had been held at the Waldo County Jail until his initial appearance. Friends and relatives of Kevin Currant were in the courtroom yelling at Matthew as the hearing came to a close and he left the courtroom to return to jail. At least one person was removed from the courtroom for their disruptive behavior. If Matthew were to be convicted of murder, he would face 25 years to life in prison. Chad Sear said, Matt's gone for a long time. We lost two people is what happened. In April, Matthew Pendleton was back in court for his arraignment. He entered a plea of not guilty to the charge of murder in front of Justice Robert Murray. Mm -hmm. News photos and videos showed a cleaned up Matthew with a haircut and freshly shaven face. He was wearing a blue button up shirt and dark pants with no tie. The Pembe Pilots reported his family had brought clothes for him to wear in court. His age at that time was being reported as 48. And in the initial stories, they said both men were 47. So he either celebrated a birthday in jail or his age was originally reported incorrectly. It was reported that Matthew and Kevin were childhood friends and both had attended Camden Hills High School. The families and friends of both men were in court sitting on opposite sides of the room. Before the hearing, the bailiff warned them that any kind of outburst would not be tolerated. And he mentioned the last court appearance when people were unruly. Hmm. Christopher McLean, Matthew's defense attorney, told WABITV, tv We are hoping to get him released on bail. This is our first priority right now. We think he is a good candidate for bail. He's a local guy. He's not going anywhere. He doesn't pose any threat to the community at all and has a lot of family support. So we would like to see him released so he can work with us and put his defense together with us. Matthew Pendleton had been indicted on March 22nd by a grand jury for intentional or knowing depraved indifference murder for Kevin's death. Detective Corporal Christopher Crawford of the Maine State Police Major Crimes Unit filed an affidavit on January 9th, the day Matthew Pendleton was officially arrested and charged with murder. But that document wasn't released until right before the, or right around the time of this arraignment in April. According to the affidavit, Matthew Pendleton was the one who called the police on the morning of January 6th. When the sheriff's deputies arrived and saw the scene, they called the Maine State Police. Detective Crawford got to Kevin's house at about noon that day and found Matthew Pendleton sitting in Deputy Ryan Jackson's cruiser. Detective Crawford spoke with the deputy. He told him, and now I'm going to quote the affidavit. Kevin Current was his friend who lives at the residence with him. Kevin was a heavy drinker, and last night he was very intoxicated. This was the story Matthew told Deputy Ryan Jackson. He said that the night of January 5th, he, Matthew, went to the store. When he got back, he found things in disarray. Detective Crawford wrote that, according to Matthew, Kevin had, quote, destroyed the house and set off a fire extinguisher in the residence because he had set his hair on fire trying to light a cigarette. According to Matthew, there was a lot of blood in the house because Kevin kept stumbling and falling, cutting open a hematoma on his ear. And if you don't know, a hematoma is like a really bad, deep bruise. And so I guess if you did cut open one, it probably would be bloody. Matthew told Kevin to go sleep in the camper. He was wrecking the house. Matthew told police he'd put a heater in the camper for Kevin. But Kevin kept leaving the trailer and sitting on the front porch steps. Every time Kevin came out of the camper, Matthew would make him go back into the camper. At about 530 in the morning, Matthew found Kevin's body. He sat inside the camper. Matthew said that Kevin's face was blackened and flat. Oh, Matthew didn't call 911 until after 930 a.m., although reportedly he called a few other people before calling the police. Matthew told Detective Crawford he didn't call 911 right away because he was afraid and he wished that, quote, this all had not occurred. Matthew told Detective Crawford he wanted to cooperate, but he needed some time. The state police detective gave Matthew his business card and told him to give him a call if he wanted to talk some more. The autopsy that was performed Saturday morning, January 7th, found the cause of death was ligature strangulation along with blunt force trauma and the manner of death was homicide. After the autopsy results were determined, the police went looking for Matthew Pendleton. He was found Saturday evening hiding in the woods off Hope Road in Lincolnville. When he was arrested and charged with murder, he, quote, invoked his right to remain silent. That was in one of the papers. At least well, he was good smart for him. On June 23rd, a harness hearing was held to see if Matthew could be granted bail. He had been in jail since his arrest without bail. In Maine, bail is guaranteed to anyone arrested for a crime except in the case of certain crimes, one of them being murder. But the defense can ask for a harness hearing to try to get the defendant out on bail.
1: Sometimes, as I said in our episode 134, the state asks for one when they want no bail. Yes. For the state to not allow bail. There has to be certain criteria. I think one's being a danger to the community and stuff.
0: During the harness hearing, evidence and testimony can be presented to the judge to show the defendant is a good candidate for bail. And as you were just saying, the prosecution might want a harness hearing to show how bad the defendant is and should not get bail. The harness is named after a guy. It's a case. Right, I think it was the late 1980s, 1987 or something. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I did an article article. on it. One of the people who testified at the hearing was Sarah Pendleton, Matthew's ex-wife. She said he was a great guy and a gentle soul, and he would do anything for you. Hmm. Sarah said that she was the person who convinced Matthew to call police. Sarah's mother, Carol McFarland, also testified on Matthew's behalf, saying he was a consistently good guy and trustworthy. Cheryl Sanuku-Hennig, one of Matthew's lawyers, told Judge Murray that if he was granted bail, he could wear a monitor to ensure that he would stay in the area and he could stay at his dad's house in Camden. More information came out during the Harnish hearing about Kevin's injuries. His facial bones had been fractured and he had ligature marks on his neck. Oh, yeah. I don't think that was from stumbling around. No. Physical evidence from the scene was presented in court, including two photographs from Matthew's phone. One showed the messed up kitchen and the other showed Kevin's body on the front steps of the house, battered and bloody. Oh, when prosecutors presented the photos from the phone, they noted that they were taken 11 hours before Matthew called police. Another thing I read said that photo, it looked like Kevin was dead in the photo. You can't, Uh, obviously you can't tell. I mean, what if he was passed out? Other evidence collected included Kevin's cell phone, blood taken from an oxygen cylinder and a fire extinguisher, Hmm. and blood samples from the house, camper, and yard. Besides the photos on Matthew's phone, there were searches on his phone for murder, homicide, death, cleaning death scene, hiding a body, causes of death, falling downstairs that's that sounds
1: like my phone but that's because i'm a mystery novelist i
0: know it does because of your book you were working on the standalone a lot of that would have matthew reportedly told a friend that he and kevin his housemate had been quote going at it for three days the witness also said that matthew said he was my friend this shouldn't have happened Mm. judge murray denied bail for matthew which meant matthew would have to wait in jail until his trial or until he agreed to a plea deal. In Judge Murray's decision to deny bail, he wrote that Kevin had suffered a beating over some extended period of time, which resulted in his ultimate death. And that makes me wonder obviously the judge is privy to more information. But also what else did they talk about? Right. I mean, he's they had that quote, he was going at it for three days. Well were they fighting like was he be I I just want to know more. Right. Why was he beaten for three days? Like what's going on? Judge Murray also noted that statements Matthew and his family had made to police indicated his guilt. The judge had, quote, significant concerns with Matthew's, quote, lengthy history of substance abuse. Another concern the judge raised was Matthew had apparently made some kind of threats to his daughter and her boyfriend, but I couldn't find out what they were. On October 13th, Matthew was back in court. His attorney, Christopher McLean, had filed a motion to suppress evidence because of an illegal search of the house. The claim was that police did not have a warrant and did not have permission to search Kevin and Matthew's house. Christopher said... It was a wholesale violation of his rights, and honestly, one of the most bungled murder investigations mm. I've ever seen in my life. What we did was we filed some motions to have evidence thrown out. We alleged that the police illegally detained Mister Pendleton. They held him in the back of a police car for six hours or so. I don't know. I why the heat always, was on. They're always so like over dramatic, and mm. I know. Former Deputy Ryan Jackson, who had since been hired by the Maine State Police, testified that Matthew Pendleton was not under arrest at the time. Quote, he was free to leave. I
1: told him he was not under arrest and he could have walked away at any point. We've talked about it before. Nobody feels or very few people feel like they can get up and walk out on the When you're sitting in the, when they say, can you please sit in the back of the cruiser? You're going to be like, oh, no. It takes a lot of balls to say, unless I'm under arrest, I'm getting up and leaving. See you.
0: Yeah. Police maintained that they had probable cause to search the property based on what they saw when they got to the house. Sergeant Nick Otinger of the Waldo County Sheriff's Office testified, when we got to the scene, there were two women in the driveway. We got out and spoke with them. They said Pendleton was in the house, intoxicated, and by their words, talking crazy. Brian Jackson said, Given what appeared to be blood splatter on the camper, given a potentially deceased person, and given the blood on the floor, I believe that it was reasonable at that time to conduct a check. And I have to agree with him that the defense attorney can say, oh, they didn't have permission. But when you get to a house and there's, and I don't know exactly where. You you don't need a warrant.
1: You don't need a warrant if you believe, I can't remember the exact wording, but if, if you believe there's imminent danger. Or you see if there's evidence in quote, unquote, plain sight.
0: And in this case, it sounds like there was. I couldn't find any information on what the judge ruled on this uh, motion to suppress. He may not have ruled on it yet. I don't give it much chance of being granted, but it's something that defense attorneys all almost always file. Right,
1: right, and judges rarely grant it. Once
0: in a while, there was evidence they'll throw out, but right. yeah.
1: And at least the stuff I've looked at, When there's a motion to suppress a search warrant that the entire case is based on, judges rarely throw that out. Just a little more than a week ago, as I write this, Matthew was in
0: court again. It was uh, December 27th via Zoom. The only things I could find about it were very sketchy in the details. It was like two lines in the paper, but it was just a discovery hearing. Both sides were asking that certain experts be allowed to review evidence. I wasn't clear on what the state wanted. It didn't really say, but it said that the defense was asking for extra medical experts to review some of Kevin Currit's medical history, and they wanted a pathologist to review the autopsy report to determine a cause of death. And I'm assuming that they might want to argue that Kevin had some pre-existing condition that may have contributed to his death. The judge and both sides agreed that they would accept extra reports and testimony from the expert. The last report I read about Matthew's trial is scheduled for February of 2024. Kevin Currett was 47 years old when he was killed. He was born on July 14, 1975 in Rockport, Maine. He grew up in Camden, Maine, and attended schools there. He had lived in Lincolnville for 20 years. According to his obituary in the Penn Bay Pilot, Kevin was handy and could do almost anything with his hands. And here's a quote from the obituary. Okay. An expert engine repairman, Kevin could fix an automobile, lawnmower, tractor, snowmobile, and just about anything with a motor. He had also owned his own carpentry business and snow plowed driveways. He was a former member of the Lincolnville Fire Department, where he was part of the access team. Kevin's hobbies included boating, fishing, and wheeling. Kevin was a problem solver. There was no task that a bit of Yankee ingenuity couldn't solve. He applied this skill in his carpentry business and while turning wrenches on his or his buddy's wheeler while broken down on a mountain trail. Kevin was always willing to lend a hand to anyone in need, whether they were family, friends, or folks in his community. Kevin knew no strangers as to meet him you instantly became a friend. Kevin had two children with his former wife and left behind many family members and friends. And I will keep an eye out for developments on this case. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's getting harder and harder it is to follow things when there's like hardly anything in the news. And then once in a while they'll cover a court thing or something. I wouldn't be surprised if he just guilty. Yeah, I don't maybe. see how he's going to go to trial. Well, he
1: could, but we've said it before and people have. I, don't know, so. I, don't know. I mean, and, it, it was his friend. I know. It sounds like another sad, drunken, whatever.
0: It's a I, common crime. Like I've said before, it's not really a subset of it's related to domestic violence. These kind of crimes in Maine where it's two male
1: friends and usually alcohol fucked up
0: on drugs or booze. When I worked for a lawyer, drugs were part of things, but I would say alcohol, I'm not a prohibitionist or anything, but I would say 90%, if not more of the crimes, alcohol was involved. Yeah. Whether someone was using it to ply a young child so they could hurt them, or just someone being a drunk and fighting people. And there was a former defense attorney who ran for governor about... 30 years ago he always wore this like duck hat this like duck hunting hat he wanted who, to make who was Maine that? an alcohol-free state tom Connolly, because he's he had been a defense attorney and he said the same thing that alcohol but you can't you can't do that no obviously. you can't it was but, tried once and it didn't work and he was kind of crazy yeah but i did vote for him like we were saying a year ago it's not the drugs It's people's lives. Right. You know, you and I aren't drunk all day long. No, God, no. There's nothing stopping people from being drunk all day long. It's all legal. It's just, what's
1: your life like? Right. And I think a lot of these ones, too, that are drugs, there's also alcohol involved. I should have said this before you started to our listeners. There's just a few of these were breaking out into longer stories. Most of them were just short things. Okay, the second homicide of 2023 was on January 12th. And some of these dates may be a little off because I was getting them from the newspaper where they said what day it happened. Yes. I tried to, but because we don't have access to an official list, I had to do my best. This was one of the five domestic violence, murder, Mm. suicide, gun-related. Although, as with most of these, not a lot of information available. Aria Jakes, 24, a Bangor, died of a gunshot wound shot by John Neff, 57, who also shot himself to death in his Bangor apartment. Ugh. Police ruled that Jake's death is a domestic, but in the years since it's happened, no other information has been released that I could find. Talisha lewis Bellat, Jake's friend, said that Jake's was kind, a great listener, and always ready to stand up for her friends. She loved music and movies as well as animals. She had a cat, Lila, and a dog, Rufus. Aww louis blott told the banger daily news that she didn't know neff or why the pair were found together at neff's apartment and that's all that was it's been a year And and it's been a year and i have found nothing else on that
0: okay the third murder of the year was just a few days after that january 18th and this was a gun related killing i shouldn't say murder i'm sorry homicide homicide Nicholas J. Gardner, 36 of Machias, was at a homeless camp on the Four River Parkway in Portland. I want to say living in Portland, there are although they they just wiped out one of them. There are yeah. camps, people are camping in tents everywhere, just like in every big city. Gardner was a member of the Passamaquoddy Nation and known as Little Wolf. Police wouldn't confirm the cause of death, but someone at the scene said they heard a gunshot. His obituary said, Nicholas was an amazing person with a big heart whose life ended tragically. He lived his life to the fullest his way and on his terms. Nicholas was an adventuring soul who hiked from the East Coast to the West Coast and settled back in his favorite places in Maine. He was extremely caring, funny, and loved his family. Nicholas was known for his jokes, pranks, his infectious smile, and his kind, compassionate free spirit. Nearly a year after he was killed, no other information seems to be available. I remember his death. Because people in Portland are all Worked bitching. up about the homeless. Uh, yes, they are. About the unhoused. Are, and that just gives it, see, look what's happening. Well, in hey, fact, I fine. found
1: ignoring the fact that almost everybody killed in Maine that year was not unhoused. Yes. But also his name came up. There were several stories about people talking about deaths in the unhoused community, including one of our 2022 ones. So people keep bringing those up. But, you know, nobody's talking about solutions. They're just bitching about it. it I just want them mark. out of sight. Like, the fourth death of the year, and if I had to guess of these 51, you said you knew one of the victims Yes. who you knew, I would have guessed it was this one. Yes. Was I correct? Okay, yes. well, I'll say what it was and then you- Okay. On um, February 17th, Christopher Godin, 57, of Portland, the founder of Granny's Burritos, a longtime Old Port staple, was found dead from multiple stab wounds in his Cumberland Avenue apartment. Friends described him as a peace-loving hippie. Jonathan Mm -hmm. Alice, 27, Godin's neighbor, was charged with murder and pleaded not guilty. Godin's friend, Rob Robichaux, said, really, his whole life was about music and people, and he was always a great guy to everybody, and this is another case where I can find no more information.
0: And I haven't heard anything about it. I didn't know him very well. Our brother, Billy, knew him. Granny's Burritos, the last place I think it was, was in that public market house that our brother and his business partners ran, which was kind of like a food court, but in a building. When they first started, I made signs for everybody and they weren't real sign signs. They were kind of like artworky signs. Everything you do is
1: so artistic.
0: But then as different businesses closed, as opened, I would make the sign for somebody. And I remember Chris, he wanted this certain logo thing. And I usually didn't put people's logos on them, but he insisted that he had, it was like this old lady doing something and a cooking over a pot or something so I did do it for him and I spoke to him on the phone several times he seemed like a really nice guy I met him only once and I did buy their burritos which were very good he I don't know if he was a single father but he had kids and one of at least one of them was developmentally disabled or had some kind of special needs so he spent a lot of time with his kids and he just seemed like a really like they were saying he was just kind of like a mild-mannered guy and I asked Billy our brother about it and I guess nobody really understands what was going on and why that guy killed him
1: it was a neighbor and it yeah. could have been nothing godin did it could have been the guy could have been high the wrong or place at the wrong time. Off or and those were good burritos it'd be nice to have more information it would be nice. nice especially somebody like him who's well known in portland you would think more would have been written so the fifth and sixth of the year we're on February 21st, and these were
0: likely gun-related. Shoa Muhammad Aiden, 21, of Springfield, Massachusetts, and Muhammad Aiden, 16, of Lewiston, a student at Lewiston High School, were killed in Poland, Maine, in a mobile home on Triplake Road. Aaron Aldrich, 46, of Auburn, who has a lengthy criminal record, according to police, and also sometimes went by Aaron Tribblecock, was arrested a week later in New Hampshire. He was indicted in April and has pleaded not guilty. No cause of death has been released, apparently. But here's a hint. Aldrich also pleaded not guilty to a charge of possession of a firearm by a prohibited person.
1: Yeah. And also, I so. meant to mention Shoa Mohammed Aden. And Mohammed Aidan are not related. Their last names are spelled differently. I think they may both be of Somali descent. And that's a common.
0: I would guess that too, because being from Lewiston, there's a large the Somali, Somali population, population in Lewiston.
1: Yeah. So another one that there was very little information about, including what he was doing in New Hampshire and how he got caught and all that. So the seventh homicide of 2023 was yet another domestic violence, murder, suicide. By gun on April 10th, Kristen Crow of Alfred was shot in the head. Her husband, James Crow, was charged. This is one where there actually was information. The reporter who does a lot of the Press Herald's crime stories now, and I have an issue with a lot of his reporting, talked to the brother of James Crow for this story. I won't go into all the details, but the initial stories had a lot of what Laura Richards calls empathy that James Crow, the perpetrator, had PTSD. His brother said what a nice guy he was and all this. Kristen Crowe had been charged the year before with embezzlement, and that was the second paragraph in the story before anything else. This woman, I'm not saying it shouldn't have been noted, but she was killed by her husband in the second domestic violence shooting death of the year in Maine, And that's the second paragraph Mm -hmm. of the story that she was charged with embezzlement the year before. Overall, it was seriously bad (sighs) reporting between that and the empathy for the perpetrator who killed this woman. And I just get tired of these, oh, he was a great guy. He wasn't a great guy. He murdered his wife and then shot himself. So that he wouldn't have to answer to the charges. If people have disorders, and I'll go more into this with the Bowdoin thing, which is coming up next. But people have disorders, PTSD, all sorts of things. But these are men shooting women to a large extent. Women with disorders aren't shooting men. The huge majority across the nation of domestic violence, murder, suicides are men perpetrated on women. Whatever somebody has, it's not... An excuse for doing it. And that leads into mm-hmm. the 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th homicides in Maine. We did a Maine mini. I didn't write down the episode number. It was in May on this, but I didn't say anything in that that I won't be saying tonight. Domestic violence with a gun on April 17th, and it morphed into the 18th, as you'll find out. Cynthia Eaton, 62, David Eaton, 66. Robert Edger, 72, and Patty Edger, 62. They were shot by Joseph Eaton, the Eaton's son, in Bowdoin, Maine, three days after Eaton was released from prison. His parents were in Maine from Kansas to Uh. pick him up and bring him home to Kansas. The next day, before their bodies were found, Eaton shot at several cars on Interstate 295 in Yarmouth, seriously injuring three people. I was going to do an update when the Portland Press-Herald did a lengthy story about it in July but frankly, I was so frustrated and worked up at the time I couldn't. <laughs> so i'm I'm doing it now. Eaton in July had entered pleas of not guilty and not criminally responsible to twenty seven charges. It wasn't just the homicide charges, but also the ones for shooting at the people in the car, yeah. being a felon in possession of a firearm, and all sorts of other stuff. <sighs> But in December, just a few weeks ago, he withdrew his pleas of not criminally responsible and is just pleading not guilty. The change means that the state can't look at his mental health evaluations that were done since his Hmm. arrest. The Press-Herald called the shootings, quote, "...one of the most shocking crimes in Maine's history." Which I think is overblown, even before the Lewiston shooting. Remember, a few years ago, there was that guy in Saco who killed his wife and four kids. Yeah. I mean, there have been many shocking crimes in Maine. And I
0: think the guy that killed the people and wanted to take over that inn—that right—and in, and was Ray. more yep. shocking.
1: The most shocking crime in Maine history. Shocking is a personal yeah. opinion. The presser also called it a senseless, violent rampage, which I would agree with. So I don't know who was on that day, but they were getting their. Tabloid, um, the Press Herald also gave Eaton a lot of ink to era's grievances in the guise of him exploring the societal and mental health issues that led to a crime he claims he doesn't understand the causes of. Mm-hmm. Last summer, Eaton did a series of jailhouse interviews with the Press Herald with their crime reporter, and apparently they talked to him for a total ten hours, but they could only talk to him fifteen or twenty minutes at a time, so it must have been painstaking. No. As the Press Herald described it, he detailed many of the factors that he said led to a psychotic break, with psychotic break, in quotes, Uh on April 17th, including a history of childhood sexual abuse, addiction to drugs, and a brutal incarceration system. Uh Again and again, he said that he loved his parents and that he did not understand why he would hurt them just days after finishing a five-year prison term, unquote. And as I said, the Press Herald puts psychotic break, in quotes, but as we'll see, doesn't do a lot to show what an unreliable narrator Eaton is. It would be nice if they had explained and later when he talks about his quote unquote psychotic break, mm-hmm. if they explained what one was and how this obviously wasn't. Yes, that would be nice. Eaton told the reporter about his parents. They were the epitome, the absolute epitome of unconditional love. They stuck by me through everything. I had everything anybody could possibly want when they got out of prison. And look at where I am. I mean, how do you explain that? You can't. There's no explanation, unquote. Actually, there is one. A couple, really. And you'll see as we go on. Eaton told the reporter he wanted to take responsibility for his actions, but also that he was considering moving forward with a trial so he could go through psychological testing and discover the root of his violent tendencies. While he has gone through the psychological Mm. testing... And now he's withdrawn his unable to, you know, comprehend whatever and is just plain pleading not guilty. So that was obviously bullshit. Uh. And whatever issues Eaton may have had, you know what else he had? Access to fucking guns and a sense of entitlement that is yep. off the charts. I read the Press Herald story in July, as I said, and I was angered but not surprised at Eaton's control of the narrative. The Press Herald tried to get it right, like talking to a psychiatrist about the diagnoses Eaton said he'd had over the years, but there are other gaping holes in their story. Let's take a look. Eaton, who grew up in Kansas, had a long criminal history, including aggravated assault, breaking and entering, and a bunch of other dirtbag things. Family members and friends describe him as always having a temper and always getting into fights, but it sounds like as a child and teen, he wasn't held accountable for that behavior hmm. and any damage he caused. His brother, John Eaton, Press Herald wrote, "...remembers Eaton as the malignant presence, a manipulator interested only in undivided attention hmm. and ruining other people's good times." Unquote. John said, he never did anything out of the goodness of Hmm. his heart. I don't think there was a goodness in his heart, unquote. For his part, Joseph Eaton says that John Eaton, who's a year older than him, was a bully who made Joseph Eaton's childhood a living hell. Consider Hmm. the source on that. If I just say Eaton, I'm referring to Joseph Eaton. John Eaton comes up again. I'll refer to him by his full name. But if I just say Eaton, it's Joseph Eaton, just so you know. It sounds like Eaton got a lot of breaks from his parents. I'm not victim-blaming, just pointing out that when someone who behaves badly is constantly placated and enabled and not held responsible for violent behavior, it doesn't make them behave better, it just gives them more of a sense of entitlement, and we've seen that in many instances, Carl Draga, and a lot of others. Eaton moved to Maine in 2008 and married twice, but according to the Press Herald, the relationships fell apart after he assaulted both women. In other words, he was...
0: (laughs) That would and, tend to do that.
1: Yeah, in, in other words, he was a serial domestic violence <laughs> abuser, despite the Press Herald's soft soap description of it. I read that article
0: and yeah. I had the same feel. I felt like they.
1: I remember us texting. That the, about I didn't it. think
0: the reporter really had a clue. control over the. Uh, this yeah, is the I, same.
1: I, this is the same reporter who wrote the homicide before this with the empathy for the empathy. Um, perpetrator so well the
0: editors need to be on top of that well they're
1: not don't get me started anyway eaton was sentenced to two years for the assault on his second wife and two-year-old stepson he was out on probation in florida when he charged three police officers with baseball bat he was sentenced to three years in florida for that and two in maine for violating conditions of release and that's what he was just released from in April. Eaton told the Press Herald that in Florida prison, he was constantly in trouble for fighting and for selling food, homemade alcohol, and drug paraphernalia. In Maine, he said, he assaulted an inmate who lied about being in the military and got <laughs> eight more months tacked onto to his sentence because of it. As always, these guys try to make it sound like their victims did something to provoke the attack. I know. Who wouldn't well, attack somebody did... who lied about being in the military? Come on, let's be patriotic. <laughs> The Press Herald did try to get his prison record, but the Department of Corrections wouldn't release it. The Press Herald wrote, "Well, what Eaton told the Press Herald about his prison disciplinary record is consistent with his decades-long criminal history, he said it was also partly the result of survival lessons he learned in a perverse correction system, especially in Florida. In an environment where decency was akin to weakness, Eaton said he leaned into his anti-social mm. tendencies, unquote. Because it meant he had stints in disciplinary segregation where you're separated from other prisoners. And Maine's disciplinary segregation, they don't call it solitary confinement, has been criticized, but Department of Corrections Commissioner Randy Liberty doesn't want to get rid of it. He says it's a good tool, but it has been shown to not help anyone and, and yeah. destroys the mental health of people who are already suffering mental health yes. issues. But Eaton liked disciplinary segregation. He told the Press Herald, I found that by being stern or being violent, I got rewarded. Confinement is the safest place. And I would say that I would like to know what the other guys who served with him, who they thought the dangerous guy in prison was. He acts like he had to be protected in prison. If it was, it was the first time in his life he ever had to be protected from anything instead of people being protected from him. It's not like he was a nonviolent person who became violent in prison to protect himself. He was already a violent, assaulting person. And again, this is just another spin of the narrative. His brother, John Eaton, was quick to dismiss any excuse or explanation for his brother's violence, the Press Herald wrote, but also said the prison system should have done more to make the transition when he got out better for everyone, which I agree with. John Eaton said, yeah. that monster should not have been released to society the way he was, If there was some sort of halfway house or an intermediary between the prison system and him setting foot on the street, this wouldn't have happened. Joseph Eaton claims to have been diagnosed over his adult life with a number of things, including bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, and PTSD. The Press Herald could not get medical records to confirm any of that and wrote... He said he's unsure whether to attribute his diagnoses to a series of head injuries or multiple instances of childhood sexual abuse. He claims he was assaulted by a male babysitter as a young boy, by an older teenage girl when he was 11, and multiple times by another perpetrator he refuses to discuss at all, except to clarify that neither of his parents ever abused him. Maureen again, I'm not saying he wasn't abused, but again, this is only his narrative. As we've seen with many stories of murderers and serial killers, they claim childhood abuse that never happened as a way to make themselves look like victims and as an excuse for their behavior. It's not clear what, if anything, the Press Herald did to confirm Eaton's claims, but they should have made more clear that that's what they are, his claims and not proven. And no matter what is history, an assessment conducted after the 2015 assault on his wife and stepson noted that Eaton was in counseling but was likely to reoffend and that he posed, quote, a concern to the community's safety with a high probability. The Press-Herald talked to Dr. Michelle Gallietta, a forensic psychologist, who said that borderline personality disorder has a severe impact on how someone regulates their emotions. She said that while patients with bipolar disorder can spend weeks in manic or depressive states, those with borderline can shift between emotional extremes suddenly. The Press-Herald wrote, she did not examine Eaton or his medical records and said she is not in a position to diagnose him, but his criminal record and the stories he shared with the Press-Herald suggest Eaton has traits consistent with both borderline and antisocial personality disorders, including poor impulse control, minimization of responsibility and justification of violence because he was treated unfairly. I would edit that to say he believes he was treated unfairly. Gallietta said these patterns are common in personality disorder patients who have histories of domestic violence. Early childhood oh. trauma, including sexual abuse, can affect your ability to process emotions, she said. Many victims turn to drugs and alcohol. Adults may struggle to maintain healthy relationships, she said, might see minor slights or stressors as justification for aggressive responses, including domestic violence or stalking, which court records show were present in both of Eaton's marriages. While I don't dispute any of that, I also think that focusing on that stuff misses some of the bigger picture. Namely, that men like Eaton are allowed to get away with a lot of behavior, no matter what the causes are. And why is that? Statistics show the huge majority of domestic violence perpetrators and stalkers are men. There are narratives you see that make it look like it's women, but I saw, I think it's 90% of stalkers where it results in violence are men, as are most domestic violence, where there's chronic domestic violence. I think that's an issue that should be addressed, too. You rarely see a woman with these disorders or histories of abuse shooting multiple people or being arrested multiple times for assault and domestic violence. Society lets men get away with more than women, enables men who behave this way, allows men to think that they're entitled to behave a certain way, attacks women who complain about men like this and does not protect them, and it makes the problem worse, And I think just saying, oh, these disorders, this is how these people act. Well, it's how these men act. And I wish people would make that more clear. I'm not saying there aren't women who aren't violent offenders who don't do things. We've talked about the statistics and what they mean before. I think in Joseph Eaton's case and men like him, it's worth talking about misogyny and the patriarchy and how society is set up our culture is set up in general to enable men to behave like that also we only have eaton's word for any of these diagnoses the story goes on to say drugs and alcohol had long been triggers for ian who said he began drinking at the age of 11 by high school, he regularly huh. smoked marijuana and used cocaine. Several people, including a high school friend, John Eaton and Joseph Eaton himself, said they noticed changes in Eaton's behavior after he started taking steroids in his teenage mm-hmm. years. But that said, his family members, his grandmother, other people in the story said he was violent and got into fights and was difficult from the word go when he was a kid.
0: The and steroids could have just exacerbated Right,
1: John Eaton said the drugs, quote got rid of the inhibitions enough to allow the real Joe Eaton out that he was kind of hiding. The master manipulator couldn't manipulate as well when he was under the influence. So what his brother's saying is that when Eaton behaved aggressively and violently while he was using substances, it's because, you know, he didn't have the abilities to use the manipulations that he usually used when he wasn't high or whatever to, to control people. One telling incident in the Press Herald story, in 2007, shortly after the brothers graduated from high school, John Eaton walked in on Joseph, strangling a girlfriend. The story says choking, but unless he was shoving something down her throat, it's strangling and I wish reporters (laughs) would get that right. Their parents got involved and Eaton hit his father, prompting a fight between the two brothers in which Joe bit off part of John's cheek. Then John kicked kicked Joe until Joe stopped moving. The fight ended the brother's relationship, the story says. As with Joe Eaton's narrative, this one's totally coming from the brother, but I have a tendency to believe it more. It's not clear if the press herald asked Joe about what his version was. John Eaton told the press herald, I realized that he was capable of anything that night. There was no sanctity of the household. No sanctity or respect for my parents. If this was a book... The foreshadowing is there. Foreshadowing is more subtle. That was huge, honking, fucking red flags. John Eaton said his parents didn't get that, quote, because he was still their son. It was just their sons that were fighting, not me protecting them from him. I couldn't explain Mm. that to them properly. I would like to know, were any charges filed? He was strangling a girl. He injured his brother. He attacked his father. My guess is no, that no charges were filed. At the parents' insistence, John reconciled with Joseph Eaton a few months before his release in April. The parents and Joseph were to live in John's house in Kansas City until they could find a new one in Wichita. Eaton said he was drunk when he assaulted his second wife and stepson in 2015, the thing that landed him in jail. He said his stepson just got caught in the fray. After two years in prison in Maine during his first incarceration here, he moved to Florida, as I said, and he said he was sober there, but then met a cousin in a bar for a drink. The Press Herald wrote, The beer gave way to weed, then meth, then heroin, and soon he was in the bathroom of his aunt's Hmm. house holding a gun to his head and quote-unquote talking to God. Then somebody called police when they arrived. He charged at them with a baseball bat, hoping they'd kill him, he said. And I call bullshit on that. I think he was just going after the cops. And frankly, I don't think he was going to kill himself.
0: But they didn't kill him. No, they didn't. Because he's a white
1: man. When he got out of prison this last time in April, the Press Herald wrote, he was frustrated that not everyone was willing to give him a clean slate. Eaton said, you call it the Department of Corrections. But then the person gets out and no one's convinced that they're corrected. And I wonder if he sees the irony of his gripe because he obviously wasn't corrected. His two ex-wives had cut him out of their lives. They wouldn't talk to the press herald for the story and who can blame them. And cut him out of the lives of his three children and stepchildren who are now between the ages of 8 and 12. And I wouldn't want those kids near that guy either. I don't blame the ex-wives for not talking to the press herald. All that would happen is they get shat on and blamed by trolls and be more in Eaton's sights. Eaton said he was not surprised that his first wife filed for a protective order against him in April when he was about to get out of prison. The relationship had, as the press herald put it, ended badly in 2013 after Eaton assaulted her and she successfully sued to terminate his parental rights in 2016. Yeah, I guess that would end badly. And it should be noted, though the article doesn't, that when she successfully terminated his parental rights in 2016, this was the first wife, but she terminated his parental rights after his assault on his second wife and stepson in 2015. And that assessment came out that said he was a dangerous person. I think the Press Herald could have made more note of that. Eaton was hoping things up with his second wife when he got out of prison. His right. assault on her that put him in prison the first time, he'd, he'd held her down by the neck, according to the Press Herald. In other words, strangled. Anytime you forcibly hold somebody's yes. neck, you're strangling them. And when he was doing it, he was slapped her yes. in the face. Apparently, the two-year-old stepson <sighs> just happened to get in the way, and Eaton accidentally kicked him in the head. Eaton said the couple had a brief reconciliation in 2017 after he served his first prison sentence for the assault, but when they fell out again, she refused to let him have any contact with the kids. So apparently there's more children no kidding. than the doesn't say. And gee, I wonder what happened there. Maybe more assaulting? Birthday cards he attempted to <laughs> send through his mother were returned unopened. His second wife filed for a protective order against him in 2021, saying he refused to stop contacting her and her father. and her application, she wrote, Joseph is a very mentally unstable person and will talk and manipulate to get what he wants in the end. I have been dreading his release every day. I know he is going to come looking for their son. And I don't know if that's the child he kicked in the head. But the order expired less than a month before Eaton was released from prison in April, and I wonder if she got that not knowing That eight months had been tacked onto his sentence for attacking the guy that I mentioned earlier.
0: If somebody does as many things as he's done, she should be allowed to get a restraining order that has no end. Exactly. I don't understand. Exactly. I don't understand how she was his victim. Yes. And he was harassing her, even though he's out of prison, he must be have parole or Right. Or probation or something.
1: Probation, not parole, because it's Maine. But I was thinking of the Florida one. So let me okay. clarify. He served two years for the assault on his second wife and stepson in 2015. He was on probation after he got out and went to Florida, where he attacked the cop, was sentenced to three years in Florida, and after that came back to Maine to serve two years for violating conditions of probation. Oh, okay. And that's cool. what it's he was released on in release April. Okay. But... I think she got the the protective order thinking he was going to get out earlier, not realizing his sentence had been extended eight months because he beat up that guy in Maine State Prison. I don't think she intended (sighs) for the research to expire a month before he got out, which it did. And he thought, great, now I can contact her, despite the fact he'd been asked repeatedly not to. He figured it was a good opening to contact her. Yeah,
0: because legally he could.
1: Yes, And that played a part in what happened April 17th and 18th. The Press Herald wrote the sequence of events. Some of this is directly from them. Some of it I've rewritten and compiled. But I want to give them credit because this is their information from that story. On April 14th, Eaton left the main correctional center in Wyndham and his parents were there to pick him up. They took him to breakfast then brought him to Freeport to buy him new clothes. They then booked him a hotel room in Old Orchard Beach and gave him some spending money, which the Press Herald described Mm. as a pocket full of cash. I don't know how much it was. The Press Herald writes, Eaton said the decompression (laughs) time was necessary after prison taught him to distrust other people, the weekend alone in Old Orchard. Eaton said, when you go in there and you leave, you are not going to be the same person. I've seen all these guys in prison just lose their minds. In Old Archer Beach, after he got out of prison, he posted a photo of himself on the beach on his Facebook account. Someone must have taken it for him. It wasn't a selfie. In fact, it's kind of eerie because it's him standing quite a ways from the camera alone on the beach. On Sunday morning, Eaton asked his parents to pick him up from the hotel. They helped him get a rental car. They returned to the Eggers home in Bowden, And the implication in the story is that's where Eaton was headed, too. Then the story says, quote, As he drove through Lewiston, he rode past an old house. It was there that Eaton experienced what he called an addictive thinking moment. Instead of driving to Bowden, he bought and smoked $20 worth of crack. Now, here's a spot where the Press Herald falls short. And I remember texting you about this when I read the story because yes. it frustrated me. He was in Old Orchard Beach, which is south of Portland. They were going to Bowdoin, which is north of Portland. Granted, he had to get a rental car that would likely have been in the Portland area, and by no stretch of the imagination do you go through Lewiston to get from Portland or anywhere south of Portland, like Old Orchard, to get to Bowdoin. If they had to get the rental car in Lewiston because there weren't any available in Portland or something, the story should have said. There was no reason for him to drive yes. him through Lewiston if he was on his way to Bowden. As I said, if they had to get the rental in Lewiston because there weren't any in Portland or something... The story should say that they had to go all the way to Lewiston, which is west of Portland, and Old Orchard Beach and all those towns on the south coast there to get the rental. I think this is just another example of Eaton manipulating the narrative. Yes. If he ended up in a crack house in Lewiston when he was on his way from Old Orchard Beach to Bowdoin, my guess would be it wasn't happenstance. He was looking for a crack house in Lewiston. Yes. One issue, And he wasn't
0: challenged about that at all. The
1: reporter didn't ask him. There's only two highways. There's the Turnpike, which is also 95, and there's 295. And there are certain places you're not going to be if, you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. This comes up later more seriously, and I think the reporter should have asked him about it. On Monday morning, Bob Egger fixed eating a plate of breakfast. Patty Egger poured him a cup of coffee. This is from the Press Herald. Afterward, Eaton went with Bob Egger to one of Egger's work sites so Eaton could learn about the construction business because this was the career path his parents and he had decided on for himself in his post-convict life. Hours before the killings, his mind was still on his endless future, he told the Press Herald. He imagined going into business with his brother Buying real estate with his father, and perhaps someday even building a church. Hmm. I have some. I have some thoughts on this that I'll leave for the end, which we're getting close to. Eaton okay. said there were a lot of little things that I was thinking about doing with my life, and fixing the relationships that had broken was definitely on the forefront. Oh, Jesus, I just wanted a chance. After leaving Eggers' worksite, Eaton called his former father-in-law, the father of the second ex-wife, the one who had gotten the restraining order that ended too soon, a move said he intended to be a non threatening step toward reestablishing a relationship with his children. Remember, mm. these people had repeatedly asked that he not contact him, and as I said, his ex-wife had gotten protective order against him in 2021. As you can imagine, the call was not well-received, as the story puts it. <laughs> Eaton was warned to stay away from them. He then pulled into a parking lot in Lisbon, which is a town near Bowden, and recorded a video on Facebook that the story describes as tearful. And this is something we've seen from men of this ilk, their tearful Facebook videos, letting their personal life out there for the world to see. And Eaton said in his tearful video, you can't forgive somebody or understand what they go through You can't give somebody a second chance, but you say you're Christian. How does that make sense? Why can't you just try to take it slow, try to get to know the person again? I just wish someone would forgive me. Uh. There's a lot we could say about that, but then I will just say, first of all, you don't put that bullshit on Facebook if you really want to reconcile with somebody. What you're doing is trying to create a narrative to the rest of the world, about how you feel about this person. All their Facebook friends will know who he's talking about. Second of all, you just got out of prison two or three days ago. The woman had a protective order against you, had repeatedly asked you not to contact her. Give her some time yes, if you really want that.
0: Every guy that does that is a manipulative narcissist. Right.
1: He told the Press Herald, my good days far outnumber my bad days, but my bad days, they're horrible. People get hurt. After posting the video, he drove to the Eggers' home. He told the Press Herald he felt something shift inside him, which he called a psychotic break, which they put in quotes. He said the only drugs he had taken since the day before, when he went to the Lewiston crack house, were two marijuana edibles. Memo to the Press Herald. If he'd suffered a psychotic break, he would not have been able to behave as rationally as he then describes himself as behaving up until the shooting and after it. I think the Press-Herald should have asked their forensic psychiatrist friend about this part of his narrative and what a psychotic break is. Yes, they could
0: have explained it.
1: He got home after making that Facebook video. He went into the house where his mom and Patty Egger were both on the couch doing things on their phones. He asked his mother for a Kohl's coupon. Kohl's is a department store that sells a lot of clothes and stuff. So he could go shopping again. He then found her purse, maybe under the pretense of looking for the coupon. I don't know. No one says. But in any case, this all doesn't sound like a psychotic break to me. They don't seem to be alarmed. They were still sitting on the couch doing stuff with their phones and talking. He got out his mom's Ruger LCR 38 caliber pistol that she carried loaded in her purse. He sat down next to her on the couch and shot her. Then he shot Patty. Uh. Then he, according to the press herald, grabbed one of the Eggers guns and so it must have been readily available somewhere, and shot Bob Egger, who was coming in the front door. Then he went outside where his father was. He told the Press Herald he remembers thinking, I don't want to kill my dad, and then he shot him. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He also shot the Egger's golden doodle. He told the Press Herald he washed his father's face, closed the eyes of the four bodies, and covered them with blankets, quote, to show respect for what happened, unquote. Oh, for
0: fuck's sake.
1: He remembers writing a note, but not what it said. Yeah, right. Police said the note said its writer had been molested, quote, and that there was nothing done about it, unquote, and that the writer was, quote, being freed of pain and wanted a new life, unquote. Oh, please. Eaton told the Press Herald, That though he was hurt, his parents hadn't done more to hold his abusers accountable. That's not why he shot them. I agree that's not why he shot them. I think Hmm. the note was just another manipulation. Yeah. Eaton then loaded his car with seven pistols and a rifle, all belonging to Bob Egger. He said from the moment he left the Lisbon parking lot after making the crying Facebook video, he was not in control of his actions. He said, it felt like I couldn't stop myself. Mm -hmm. The only way I can really say it is possessed. He said, though, the feeling broke for a split second just before he left the Eggers' house when he stood at the kitchen table and sobbed, overcome by a sudden rush of pure love for his family. I think maybe he was overcome with an oh shit moment. He drove to Lewiston where he picked up two friends and quote, enough drugs to kill himself unquote. And I'm not sure if that's the Press Herald's assessment or what Eaton told them, but I think it's Eaton's assessment. The three men drove to a hotel in Portland to party, not kill themselves. Eaton talked to his brother John on the phone. It's not clear who called whom. And John says, When I spoke to him, there was nothing wrong. Everything was hunky-dory. So again, not a psychotic break. The Press Herald writes, Joseph Eaton lived through the night and came up with a new plan. Drive south until he escaped the police or they killed him in a shootout. Maureen says, Yes, he lived through the night, because he didn't intend to kill himself. If he had, he wouldn't have picked up two buddies to party with. He would have just killed himself, and the press herald should have... He could have just
0: shot himself.
1: Right. Well, yeah, he had seven guns. Maybe the press herald is counting on readers to realize how unreliable Hmm. a narrator Eaton is, but it seems to me more that the reporter is taking too much of what he says at face value. I, if I had been the reporter or the editor on the story would have said why did you pick those two guys up go to Lewiston and pick those guys up I know you had to get drugs but you had seven guns why did you go get them and bring them with you back to Portland if you were going to kill yourself by overdosing the story says Ian was still feeling the effects of meth crack and heroin on Tuesday morning and I would say according to him but they don't (laughs) when he dropped the two men off in Lewiston and turned south ready to flee the state. I don't doubt he was drugged out, but if he was really going psychotic, would he have driven the two guys back to Lewiston? Would they have let him drive them back to Lewiston? This doesn't sound like some guy having a psychotic break. He's driving his bike. Yeah, I know. He claims the guns he took were to shoot at police with, and my assessment was that he was mm-hmm. going to shoot at anyone and go out in a blaze of glory, that it wasn't just... Yes. Anyway, at 9.18 a.m., Patty Eggers' sister found the bodies and called 911. At around 1025 a.m., more than an hour later, in what the Press Herald calls his paranoid state, he, in, quote, confused several uh. civilian cars on Interstate 295 in Yarmouth for pursuing police cruisers. He opened fire, hitting several vehicles. And this is Maureen again. <laughs> Sean, Justin, and Paige Halsey were seriously injured by that shooting. And I think it's interesting that Eaton's Yarmouth shootings were more than an hour after Patty Egger's sister called 911. Here's another logistical thing the press herald should have at least pointed out. If Eaton dropped off his friends in Lewiston and then quote unquote turned south to take the highway and shoot at police, as the press herald says he did... It's not likely he would have been on I-295 in Yarmouth at all. I-295 swerves out to the east, beginning just north of Portland, and rejoins Mm -hmm. 95 just south of Augusta. 40 miles, 40-something miles of I-295. 95, which is also the main turnpike, curves west to go by Lewiston and Auburn before going back east to Augusta. If you're going from Lewiston, either north or south, you take 95 And you don't hook up with 295 until just south of Augusta or just north of Portland. You would not be, and Yarmouth is in between, so you would not be going south from Lewiston, the reporter should have asked. No. Obviously, obviously, Eaton didn't leave Lewiston and just start driving south on the highway. If he'd gone back to Bowdoin for some reason, he would have then gotten on 295, which has an an exit on to 295 to go south. Or I guess if he went east from Lewiston on one of the two lane roads, like Lisbon Road, all the way to 295, that would have made sense. And it also would have taken him through Bowdoin. Yes. But that's not going south on the highway to shoot cops. So maybe he drove by the house. That would be my that's guess. That
0: makes me wonder. Yes. Because
1: he did something. I'm not, it doesn't say what time he dropped the friends off, but the shooting in Yarmouth on the highway was more than an hour after Patty's sister called 911 yarmouth is on 295 is like 15 minutes from poden 20 minutes from poden the exits you know what yeah. i mean so like i said maybe he drove by the house to see if anything was going on there which sounds not yes, like a psychotic person who's just looking to get killed by the cops but somebody who's trying to assess the results of his action. and not
0: even or not even seeing what's going on there but if nobody had discovered the bodies yet, he could get some more money. got some more money or whatever, whatever he, right. Because
1: you know. maybe he left in a rush and didn't get yeah. the stuff he wanted. Yeah. So maybe he, when he went by, if he went by, he saw the police response and decided, okay, they got me. I'm going out in a blaze of glory. Or maybe he did something else in that time. But he did not leave Lewiston and drive south on the highway until he started shooting at people. And the reporter and editors both should have been savvy enough to at least ask that. I know it sounds like I'm nitpicking, but it shows his story is not reliable, and the reporter should have asked about it, or at least noted that the story that he just drove south from Lewiston doesn't make sense if he was shooting no. at people on a totally different highway. When I read that, highway. it not make sense. The Press Herald says that two dozen emergency call transcripts obtained by the paper were so heavily redacted that they contained essentially no details about the highway shootings or the police manhunt that immediately followed. Eaton parked his car on an exit and took off into Yarmouth, into the woods. As armed law enforcement officers combed the area for Eaton in the Yarmouth area, the press Herald writes, he said he readied himself in a thicket of woods for a shootout. He said it was only at the last moment that he decided to turn himself in peacefully. A divine intervention, he called it. I think it's, uh, I don't want to get my ass shot by the cops. And again, he's lucky he's a white guy or he'd be dead. Eaton is adamant, the Press Herald writes, that smoking crack on that Sunday was not his first step down a slippery slope. He just doesn't know why he shot those people. People are no longer walking this earth because of me, he said. Whatever the punishment is, I deserve it. My response to that is, then why just not plead guilty? I know. get it over with. So, obviously, more bullshit from the bullshitter. In any case, it's another instance of guns, guns, guns. Eaton shot his mother and Patty Egger with a loaded gun his mother carried in her purse and that he knew about. Then he shot Bob Egger and his dad with a loaded gun the Eggers had in their house. He also shot the people on I-295 with guns the Eggers had in their house and on their property. I'm not victim-blaming, but I do think... It needs to be pointed out that it was naive or ignorant on the part of all the Eatons and the Eggers to have loaded guns where a man with such a violent history had access yes. to them. And as a felon, he was not allowed to be in possession. He's he, he not even supposed to be in a house with
0: guns. Right.
1: But so I'm sure think. he led them to believe that everything was fine and dandy and he was going to be a different man. My theory is that I, have, I I think the crack did have something. The drugs did have something to do with it. My theory is that after spending a day on a construction site, he was like, this is bullshit. I am not doing this crap for the rest of my mm-hmm. life. And, of course, he had already gotten the crack the day before he spent the day on the construction site. So he was probably like, you know what? I like doing crack better than I like hammering nails and saw boards no, no. for a living in the hot, mosquitoy sun. Then he called his ex's father and maybe he thought he could move back in with her, or maybe he just wanted to win that battle. Who knows? And the rejection by her father of him pissed him off. His parents, as good as they were to him, planning this bullshit life in construction work, pissed him off as well. I think, this is my opinion, he just wanted to do drugs and do what he wanted to do and live the life he wanted to life. Fuck them. Bang, bang. You're dead. I know it's not that simple, and mental health, the damage the prison system does to people who already are like that, and the drugs all played a part. But that is the bottom line. He's not incompetent to stand trial. He understands what he did. He's not mentally ill in a way that would keep him from being found guilty, which is, I'm sure, why he withdrew that, because that would be ammunition the state would have to say this guy knew what he was doing. His narrative, his own narrative to the Press Herald shows he knew what he was doing. He can say, oh, I had a psychotic break. Oh, I felt like I was possessed. But he did rational, logical things. He went to Lewiston. He found the place. He bought drugs. He got his friends. They went to Portland to party. He talked to his brother on the phone, acting like nothing was wrong. Why wouldn't he want the state to see his mental health records if they showed he's really as nuts as he claims he is? He obviously was trying to get that narrative out there with the stuff he told the press herald. They were his willing dupes, including the psychotic break and the possession. Yeah. That doesn't fly even when the reporter plays along. Bottom line is he's another violent, controlling, pissed off, entitled guy who thinks the world is against him and who had access to loaded guns, which he used as Eaton yes. told the press herald. That boy wasn't oppressed. He was given everything this world had to offer. He was given every opportunity from people that loved him. Everybody did everything they could to make sure that Joe Eaton had the opportunity to rehabilitate, and he abused those opportunities. He abused those people.
0: He clearly has mental issues or personality disorders. He's narcissistic. This is my armchair diagnosis, and he he maybe does have borderline personality disorder. He's got issues, but that does not excuse you. Our system enables people like him, and this isn't the first one we've talked about. They keep getting out of prison, and I'm not saying yeah, won't well, people last one even the rest tonight of their life.
1: But right. I don't know what our prison system... I don't even know the point of our prison system. There are people who shouldn't be in prison who are. Like the countless women yes. who hid their boyfriend's drugs for them and get 20-year sentences, yes. mostly black women and stuff. Then there are people who should be in prison, and he's not even the last one we're going to talk about tonight, Who are, no. who are whose crimes are mainly against women who are yeah. let out. And I do think if we are going to put people in cages and then let them out again... I do think there's some obligation to to find a way to transition them. He should not have been in a house with guns. That should have been made clear to the people who were taking care of him. One issue with guns, and we kind of talked about this in recent episodes with the Lewiston shooting, I think people who have guns and who use guns are so comfortable with them that they don't see the danger that they pose. And they're yeah. so confident in their ability to like control their son or the people around them and this is the same thing with the lewiston shooter the people who are comfortable with guns don't say wow we don't want this guy to have a gun in his hands because to them they're just like us having a sippy cup or something i think that his
0: parents did love him oh i think they did and were, were in denial and naive and i think a lot of times People do not understand that someone who is a sociopath or a psychopath—they don't think like you. They may act like they love you, but they don't. Right, and they don't care about you. And if if they have to, and you get in their way, they will kill you. Now, why? I mean, that was his story. Oh, yeah, I went in the and I got the gun and shot her. He thinks that sounds normal, like that's a normal thing. That no, he was would do. having a
1: psychotic break. He doesn't think no, it's so but, <laughs> I,
0: but I'm just <laughs> saying don't. that isn't having a psych. You know, remember the guy in the it was in the 80s, I think he killed a bunch of nuns. Yes, he was schizophrenic And Waterville. These nuns in Waterville helped him. He was having a psychotic break. Yes,
1: and when you have a psychotic break, you behave in a uncontrolled way. And he was behaving in a very controlled way. He was able to... He wasn't
0: having a psychotic break. No.
1: He's a dickhead. And and I realize the Press Herald put that in quotes, but I feel like their story, like they did a lot of reporting work, but didn't get the fact... You know, if everybody's telling you this guy's super manipulative, then realize, Mr. Reporter, that you too are being manipulated. Question everything. And anyway, we could go on and on, but we have many other homicides to get to.
0: Yes, number 12 was also a gun-related death. On May 14th, Edward Badeau, 41, of Berwick, was shot to death, and another man, Christopher uh Utt, 25 was injured by a gunshot. In July, the shooting was ruled self defense. Ut was a marijuana grower, and according to police, Badeau had arrived at his home at 9 a.m., shot off a gun, demanding to be let in, and then the two had a shootout. That sounds like fun. That's one I'd like to know more about. It's like the one I did last year the guy with the car. That's you know, what I was thinking. Once it's ruled, you know, okay, then you don't hear anything more about it.
1: I know, that's true. Number 13 is another domestic violence with a gun. It's not a murder-suicide, and I was able to get a little more information on this one because W-A-B-I-T-V did a story, and this didn't even appear in the Press Herald. This was the last one I was able to find. The Press Herald had nothing on this. I guess Aroostook County is just too damn far Uh, away for them to No one cares about them. But on June 18th, Kimberly Hardy, 42, was reported missing to the Holton Regional Communications Center by her mother, Kathy Hardy, who hadn't heard from her in two days. Oh. Hardy lived in the Aroostook County town of Monticello with her boyfriend, Jamie Schnackenberg, 39. Aroostook County, for those of you who don't know, it's the largest county in Maine, northernmost county, largely rural. It is called The County, and it's far away. <laughs> Kathy told police it was uncommon not to hear from Kim, but Kim and Schnackenberg had been having issues. Shortly after Kim called, Schnackenberg also called to report her missing. And we have seen this before. The guy saying, "Uh uh-oh, somebody else reported her missing, so I better, oh shit. But police did not jump right on things. That was June 18th. On June 23rd, detectives interviewed two friends of Schnackenberg, My guess is that, you know, it's five days later and Kathy, the mother, is like, you know, I still haven't heard from Kim. Are you guys doing anything? Detectives interviewed two friends of Schnackenberg who said they were in his house on June 17th or 18th, and Jay said that he got into a fight with Kim and he shot her twice in the head. (sighs) I'm glad police asked. Police got a search warrant for the house that Schnackenberg and Kim shared, and according to their affidavit, they found trace evidence, including possible blood spatter in the kitchen, evidence of cleanup in the kitchen, and a mop that tested presumptive positive for blood. They also got access to Schnackenberg's cell phone information and found a ping on Harvey Siding Road in Monticello. There, they found a tarp with a red-brown stain. In the tarp was Kidden's body, shot in the head, and hogtied. Schnackenberg was arrested June 26 and charged with murder. Kim was the mother of three and a grandmother, as well as a cat mom. She'd been diagnosed with breast cancer, but was recovering. Her obit said, Kimberly was a social butterfly who never failed to have a bright smile for all those around her. She was close to her family, never missing an event or chance to visit them, even if it meant traveling to do so. She was a sports lover, a fan of the Patriots. She had a special affinity for the Tasmanian devil and loved animals, especially cats. She held various jobs over the years and is remembered as a hard worker, friendly, and a collector of hats. She was a friend to everyone that met her, and she was always the first one to offer a helping hand to others. In the past few years, Kim was battling and winning a fight with breast cancer. She was an inspiration to many in her constant strength and courage in dealing with her illness. She never allowed it to ruin her spirit. She loved to cook and enjoyed cooking, pickling, and canning with her friend Connie, and sharing their efforts with everyone around her. Aww. And I could find no more information after his arrest. I don't know if he's just in jail waiting. As we know, Aroostook County doesn't have enough lawyers to represent people. If I see anything more about this, I'll certainly do something. But, you know, it's funny. He shot her. He told his friends he shot her. If her mom hadn't reported her missing. Yeah. You know, don't people have any sense of... No. No. Well, maybe they were afraid they'd be shot. You know, you don't know. With I these know affidavits but... and narratives. You know, I know as the police say, people disappear all the time. Blah blah blah. But I do Wait believe now. when family members are alarmed for some reason, that yeah, take that seriously because
0: there are people that, for instance, our our older brother. I don't yeah. talk to him very often. Yeah. No, I don't. So know. I could go six months without talking to him right. it's not that we don't speak to each other it's just that we don't talk but if it were you i'd be like i haven't heard from my sister in three
1: days i know that's there's something of- wrong if you didn't hear from me for three days you would know Like, so, i mean we must text I mean, 100 times but that's the
0: thing it's, they have to take people seriously they do Homicides number 14 and 15 were on June 19th, and they are also gun related. Brittany Cockrell, 37, and Michael Hader, 41, were shot to death in front of their two children as they sat in a car in Westbrook. The family had moved to the area from Texas six months earlier. Marcel LaGrange Jr., 24, was arrested. And I remember when this happened, there was a guy, a witness, who tackled the shooter. He ran down the street and tackled the guy. One of my clients knew that guy and said i can't remember what it was she had hired him for something we were talking about it and um it's just one of those crimes that's it's just horrific their kids saw it
1: apparently he aimed, he aimed the gun at the boy who was 11 but then saw that people were coming after him and so he took off lagrange had no connection to the couple he just shot him but i would also say this is kind of a domestic violence-related. LaGrange posted on Facebook before the shootings, multiple MF, which I assume he means motherfuckers. And I don't know if he wrote motherfuckers and they just didn't want to repeat that in the paper or what. We'll die because of you. I don't let people go, unquote. After a woman who he was friendly with had told him she didn't want to date him. She alerted mm. police and they were looking for him at the time of the shootings. He had a long history of mental health issues, violent threats and assault, including assaulting his grandmother, The previous Ah. September, during an argument about his pot use, and in December 2022, tried to burn down the house of a caretaker. He'd shown his gun to the woman he'd sent the Facebook message to earlier in their friendship. And then the Press Herald later said that the Assistant Attorney General said he was allowed to have a gun because he didn't have any felony convictions. And it's like, okay, what the fuck about his fucking mental health issues? Just another example, and I won't go into all the details, but so much for Maine's yellow flag law. Here's a dangerous guy who has a gun. Yes. People know he has a gun, and yet nobody bothers to take it away or get it taken away, and he goes and shoots some people who are just sitting there in their car and don't even know
0: him. You know who that reminds me of, too, is Gary Gilmore. Yes. He shot the people just because... His girlfriend wasn't seeing him and he said, I'm going to shoot someone every day until you answer me or talk to me. But I was going to say in crimes like this where someone like him, you know, these people who are gun advocates, you would think they'd want we want to find out how somebody who should not have a gun gets it, instead of just ignoring it.
1: But they don't want that. You know, they don't want the simplest controls. And I think it would be a really good thing for the Press Herald to look at every single one of these gun-related things and find out how people got guns. Not just Lewiston shootings, but all 39 or whatever of the gun homicides in Maine last year and find out how people got the fucking gun and whether they should have had one or not. Speaking of which, Homicide 16 is another domestic violence, murder-suicide with a gun. how wonderful. On July 2nd, Pamela Cohen, 71, of Brooklyn, which is up on the Blue Hill Peninsula, is shot to death in a murder-suicide by her husband, William Cohen, 75, not the former U.S. senator, though he had been (laughs) mayor of Bangor. Not the former U.S.
0: senator. Right.
1: Just in case people wonder, he had been mayor of Bangor and was on the Brooklyn select board. They were found by a Hmm. son who'd been living with them, so, Shannon Moss, the spokesman for the Maine State Police, said it was still under investigation, but likely no one would be charged. Yeah. Everybody was away for the day, had gone to Portland or somewhere far away from there for the day, and they came home. And
0: ah, uh, so number 17 was on my birthday, another domestic violence on July 7th. Barbara St. George of Norway, Maine, was found dead in her driveway. Her husband, Andrew St. George, 61, was charged with murder. St. George had stabbed his wife, then run over her with his truck, which was still on top of her when police arrived. Neighbor John Wilson told the Lewiston Sun Journal, this is very, very unusual. <laughs> I live right next door to where it happened, right on the Greenwood Road. And i would I'm say, like, yes, it okay. is unusual
1: for your neighbor to stab his wife and then run yeah, over her. Yeah, I would
0: hope that's unusual. <laughs> but I was going to say about this one is, what the hell?
1: He stabs
0: her and then runs over her. Although I wonder. He wanted if he... to make
1: sure she was dead. Either that, or
0: maybe he was planning on making it look like it was some kind of accident.
1: That could be. Like... Number 18, the next day on July 8th, Mark hmm. Trabu, 57 of Anson, was found dead in his truck in a cemetery in Madison after being reported hmm. missing. It's not clear when he was reported missing or how long, but I don't think it was more than a day. Roland Flood, 61 of Madison, was charged with murder on September 1st. The two men had lived together. It's not clear if his roommates were a couple. (laughs) Trebou had several sharp force injuries, which means he was stabbed. According to court records, two days before Tribu disappeared, Flood and Tribu had an argument and Flood threatened Trebu, though he later said he was joking. And I could find no more about this. Number
0: 19 is gun related. July 28, Tyler Robinson, 34, was found dead on the side of Old Belgrade Road in Augusta. He had been shot in the chest. Right after he was found, police said there was no danger to the public, even though they didn't have a suspect. Mm Mm-hmm. Their investigation led them to Andrew Redmond, 34 of Augusta, who was arrested and charged with murder after a police chase on a Mississippi highway, September 11th. He has pleaded not guilty. This whole, The public is not in danger.
1: They need to stop saying that. I know. They say that all the time when they don't even know what happened. They have no
0: clue who did it or what happened.
1: I know. How do they justify saying that? It was just like the Idaho, the the four kids killed in Idaho, and the cops were saying the public wasn't in danger. Really? 20 and 21, more gun violence. Muhammad Mm. Sheik, 30, of Auburn, and Kate Hussein, 23, of Lewiston, were shot to death in a three-way shootout. Police determined the third guy... In the shootout, Muhammad Leibin, 24 of Lewiston, wouldn't be charged because he shot Sheik in Hussein's defense. Oh, So Sheik shot Hussein, Liban shot Sheik, two people died, and the one guy living. So I guess it's a good thing he had a gun, right? He was a good
0: guy with a gun.
1: Right. The armed citizen, when I worked for the union leader... We used to have this feature called the Armed Citizen, wherever hmm. went somebody lo- with a gun, like, shot a burglar or something. Oh, they'd have geez. a little... Okay, a nice and now the next gun. one. And this is right near an area you're very familiar with. On September 5th, Danielle Goodwin, 52 of Freeport, was found dead down an embankment. Down from Clark's Pond Parkway in South Portland, near Home Depot, and Becky, as you're familiar with, that's an area with all sorts of malls and big box stores. And... But they
0: also have a tra- a walking trail that goes around. It's kind of woodsy around hmm. there. So
1: okay. this was right off the road. Goodwin was a substance recovery counselor and a mentor to many in recovery, hmm. who would tell others in recovery to put down the bat and pick up the feather. In other words, don't be so hard on yourself.
0: Oh. Police
1: found her body after a man identifying himself as John Carpenter mm. called 911 on the afternoon of September 5th from an untraceable phone. And every time the Press Herald has that, they put his name in quotes. And I'm not sure if it's ever been proven he isn't a real person named John Carpenter, but police could tell Goodwin was killed elsewhere one or two days before her body was found. And the medical examiner found several crushing and chopping type injuries to her head and throat. Uh. Police didn't release a cause of death, though, and didn't have a suspect, but as always, they said there was no danger to the public. Little information was released in the weeks after until November 3rd when Gary Mariner, 65, was arrested and charged with murder. Police said when Mariner was arrested that they believe Goodwin was killed in West Newfield, where Mariner lives, which is out west of Portland in western Mm -hmm. Cumberland County near Sebago Lake. Goodwin worked as a substance abuse counselor, as I said, playing a pivotal role in supporting many Mainers who struggled with addiction, according to those who knew her, the Press Herald wrote. She was reportedly engaged in 2022, but her fiancé died. She was in long-term recovery from substance abuse disorder, but had recently relapsed shortly before she was killed, her mother Patricia Goodwin of Freeport said. I'm still in shock about it, she told the newspaper after Mariner was arrested in November. I don't know how any of this happened. Danielle would stay with her mother between what the Press Herald called binges. One day in September, Goodwin didn't come home. I tried everything I could to get her help, Patricia Goodwin said. I miss her. She said she'd never heard of Gary Mariner. Danielle's friend, Stephanie Doyle, told WMTW, she saved the lives of many people, sponsored many people. Just her bravery, her courage, the tenderness in her spirit, her spunkiness, it's an inspiration. She's a hero to so many people. Doyle said, though, Danielle struggled to give herself the stuff she gave to others. When she's struggling, she doesn't want other people to know, so she turns away from her closest people. Uh... Goodwin had worked as a waitress and bartender at Antonia's Pizza in Freeport while she was studying to be a substance abuse counselor, and she made many friends there who had kind things to say about her in news reports. sad. In December, Gary Mariner pleaded not guilty to a murder charge and to being a felon in possession of a gun. The police affidavit in support of Mariner's arrest warrant says that Mariner's DNA was found on Goodwin and her blood was found in his house. The affidavit, signed by Maine State Police Detective Benjamin S. Hansel, described several pieces of DNA evidence tying Mariner to the crime, the Press Herald noted. The headline of that story was, DNA evidence connects West Newfield man to death of Freeport women. I don't have to remind our listeners that an affidavit is the police's version of events uh-huh. and journalists writing about them not us but journalists should take care to say it's police saying that yes. not write it as a definitive police are saying dna connects him to her death but that will have to be proven in court during a trial the police said mariner's blood was found on goodwin's pants which is what led them to him his dna was on file because of maine if you're arrested for certain crimes they take a dna swab And that's a big bummer for serial perpetrators like Gary Mariner, which we'll talk more about in a little while. Hansel was investigating Goodwin's death, and a month after she died, he was reviewing surveillance footage from two nearby businesses, East Point Christian Church (sighs) and Restore Spa, and noticed a dark-colored passenger car driving slowly near where her body had been found. The Press-Herald story doesn't say, but I assume the surveillance footage was from the day her body was found or the day before or something. Hansel then saw a pickup truck with lumber in the back suddenly stop as if it had to go around a vehicle that was stopped in the road. He then checked surveillance footage from Home Depot, the most likely place a pickup truck full of lumber would come from, and tracked down the driver and talked to her on October 10th. She said she stopped and swerved because a car had been pulled over against the rock wall and she had to go around it. She hmm. thought there was some activity associated with the car, but she didn't pay much attention. She said the car had round taillights, but she couldn't remember who was in it or color. I'm surprised you remembered that much. I am too. On October 24th, two weeks after Hansel talked to that other woman, the DNA match for the blood found in Goodwin's pants came up as Gary Mariner. Mariner Ooh. drives a 2020 Toyota Corolla that matches what the woman remembered about the car she had to stop for. When cops interviewed Mariner, they said he told them that he knew Goodwin, but hadn't seen her for a couple of years. He then changed that and said he'd given her a ride about five or six months ago. He said she'd never been in his house and that there would be no reason for his blood to be on her according to the affidavit. The affidavit says the police took samples from seven bloodstains found around his house, near the kitchen stove, on his bedroom ceiling, and from several items in his bedroom, including a clothes hanger, a tool set, and a circular Uh. saw. The main State Crime Lab said all of it was a match to Danielle Goodwin's DNA. Maureen says this is almost two months after you killed her. You can't clean up the fucking blood. Uh. I know it's hard to get it all, but what the fuck? On November 2nd, Hansel said police also found rope cleaning supplies and a 9mm handgun in the back of Mariner's car, and it appeared that the rear hatch of the car had recently been cleaned. Mariner isn't a stranger to police, as I mentioned about his DNA being on file. First of all, he's the son of a former Cape Elizabeth police chief, now deceased, Herb Mariner. But more than that, he has a criminal history going back to 1978 when he was convicted of assault, In 1983, he was convicted of criminal threatening, both misdemeanors, and I'm sure he pled down from some other charges, and you'll see why I think that. His most recent arrest was October 2015, when Mariner, married and living in Lyman at the time, stopped a sex worker on Boynton Street in Portland and told her, this is not Mm. your lucky day. He showed her his father's badge, Mm. which said retired on it, and he told her that he was a cop and he had been called back from retirement to work for the Maine State Police as part of a special prostitution unit. She asked if she was (sighs) under arrest, and he told her she could work it off. He then drove her to the parking lot at the bus station at Thompson's Point, where he pulled a pistol from the door pocket of his Toyota Corolla and rested it on his leg. At first, he demanded anal sex because, quote, he didn't get it at home, unquote, but she talked him down to a blowjob, according to a court document Mm -hmm. I found online. The sex worker reported the assault to police, and she described in detail the badge, the gun, Mariner's car, the cigarettes he smoked, and soda he drank in such detail that the police were able to match her description to objects they later found (laughs) at Mariner's house. He was charged with felony, gross sexual assault, and a misdemeanor charge of impersonating a police officer and faced a sentence of up to 30 years in prison. He was convicted, but he appealed. And I can find no articles about it on newspapers.com, even though I found one about his arrest online in 2015 when he arrested. That wasn't even on newspapers.com, so I'm not sure. Sometimes they read things weirdly or I don't know. Yeah. The only other thing I could find online was the court document from his appeal in 2017 which charged that there was no probable cause for the search warrant that led to his arrest. That appeal was denied by the state Supreme Court in 2017. The Press-Herald in December, when Mariner was in court for Danielle Goodwin's homicide, said that he was convicted in 2017 and sentenced to 12 years, all but four suspended, which would mean he got out of prison in 2021. But in another story, they say he, quote, walked free, unquote, in 2017, which means he wouldn't have served any prison time. So who knows? But in any case, he certainly didn't get the 30 years he could have gotten for his assault on the sex worker and impersonating a police officer. Mariner is being held without bail in New York County Jail. His attorney, Tina Netto, told the Press Herald, Mr. Mariner is presumed innocent of the serious charge against him. Apart from the affidavit, we have been provided no information from the Maine State Police or Attorney General's office, no reports, no statements, no audio, no video, no photographs, mm. no lab reports, nothing. Our work here has only begun. Wow. And so that's the story of that. That's another guy. My guess is if he had impersonated a police officer, the police wouldn't have even bothered to I investigate know. that sex workers. Claims
0: well, good for her that she was so observant
1: and that she know? went to police and reported it. Yes, yes, yeah, so i she did. Again, here's a guy who's obviously an assaulter of woman and who gets less than the minimum in prison than what he should have gotten. No, he is on the sex offenders registry. Who knows what happened to poor Danielle.
0: Number twenty-three is a domestic violence, murder, suicide, and gun-related. September thirteenth, Stephanie Ranieri, forty-three of Hiram, was shot to death by Chad Adams, forty-eight, who then shot himself. They were found after neighbors reported a disturbance. The two had previously been in a relationship, and there isn't much.
1: Yep, that's all. The and
0: unfortunately. That's a very common exes in a relationship anymore. The woman gets yep, shot because she won't off. get back together with him, or she's ignoring him or she's trying to get away from him.
1: Right. And number 24, another domestic violence, murder, suicide with a gun. October 6th, Kylie Turcott, 30 of Lisbon Falls, was shot to death by Benjamin Peterson, 38 of Pittston, who shot himself in the head, but didn't immediately die turcott was shot in peterson's car Ugh. police said they had been in a relationship it's not clear if they still were or not firemen in a nearby station heard a woman scream around 7 a.m and ran out to see peterson get out of the car and shoot himself he ended up dying two Ugh. days later and that's all there was on that now
0: you get i get 25 to 42 Yep, october 25th robert card who had been acting erratic, had threatened to do a mass shooting, and who had access to guns, killed 18 people at Spare Time Recreation Bowling Alley in Schmenge's Bar and Grill in Lewiston. We discussed this in episode 149, and the state of Maine is doing an investigation on why Card's guns weren't taken away. So we'll talk more about it on a later episode, I'm sure. Yeah. We're not going to talk at length about this, but I'm sure... If you live in the United States, you've heard about this shooting. The people killed were Trisha C. Aslin, 53, Peyton Brewer Ross, 40, William Frank Brackett, 48, Thomas Ryan Conrad, 34, Michael R. Deslores II, 51, Max A. Hathaway, 35, Brian M. McFarland, 41, Keith McNair, 64, Ronald G. Moran, 55, Joshua A. Seal, 36, Arthur Fred Strout, forty-two; Stephen M. Vazella, forty-five; Lucille M. Violet, seventy-three; Robert E. Violet, seventy-six; Joseph Lawrence Walker, fifty-seven; Jason Adam Walker, fifty-one; William A. Young, forty-four; and Aaron Young, fourteen.
1: There's so much to say about that that we're not. I mean, we talked about it in episode one forty-nine, and yeah guns guns guns
0: we talk about murder and shooting without i don't want to sound like trite but just seeing all those names at once by one person they've talked about the victims a lot more than they do in a lot of the and these other shootings their faces are familiar to us and everything especially that guy and his son it's just william young and aaron young it's just like what the fuck i know and there are people in maine that will argue with you about guns. Right. Even after this happened. I don't Um, understand
1: it. I don't, I just can't understand it. I understand it. It's the same thing as just a lot of shit going on in this country. People want what they want and they don't give a shit about anyone else. Yeah, I understand it kind of,
0: but I don't understand why. I just don't understand there are things that I just don't understand. You know, why. we can talk
1: about it at I know, length, but oh, oh,
0: there's no point right, in talking there's about
1: no, it. I can see no reason because there are no reasons. That's right. Homicide forty-three, also a gun, November fourteenth. Ahmed Sharif, twenty-seven of Lewiston, was shot to death in Saco. Lorenzo Labonte, twenty-five of Biddeford, was charged with murder. Labonte previously was Sharif's roommate. It appears mm-hmm. the stories are very confusing. This case is interesting in that initially the court wouldn't allow Labonte, the guy who was arrested, to see his arrest affidavit. And then they said his lawyer could, but the lawyer couldn't tell Labonte what was in it. A judge in December said Labonte could see it, but was barred from talking to certain people. Law enforcement hasn't said that it's related to a shooting two days before Sharif was killed. But Ariana Tito, 18, LaMonte's sister, was charged with attempted murder in connection with the shooting of Kayla Grant, 32. So maybe they didn't want LaMonte to see the affidavit because there was also stuff about his sister's case. Who knows? But I think that you cannot be in the criminal justice system in America and not be allowed to see the evidence that was presented to a judge you have to. that allowed them to arrest you i mean what the fuck so anyway
0: number 44 domestic violence november 21st christine miller 64 was stabbed to death in her apartment at river landing senior housing in thompson robert mcclure 71 her boyfriend who lived in another apartment, was charged with murder. She had stab wounds to the hands, arms, face, head, and upper torso. Miller was apparently trying to get McClure psychiatric help in the days before she was killed, according to her landlord. A neighbor heard screaming and went to see what was going on and saw McClure walking out of Miller's apartment with a knife and blood all over him, so he called 911. McClure told police he heard voices that told him Miller was a witch and needed to die. I did stab that lady, he reportedly told police. the fuck? I know. It does sound like he's not lying. He, he yeah. was having psychiatric yeah. issues. Oh, that poor woman.
1: Number 45 on November 21st is another one that was frustrating and was incredibly difficult to find any information about except for the initial story. Everybody had the initial story. And then this guy's name kept coming up in articles about how there were eight homicides in November, but nobody bothered to pursue and get information for any of them who wrote about that. They just all listed the same information. Harvey Elderkin of Heartland was killed during a fight in St. Albans. These are towns in Somerset County, a little north of where I live. Someone called police to report a disturbance and when the police got there, they found Elderkin dead and no one else there. Police said they don't know who the other guy was, or didn't the last time somebody Hmm. wrote a story, but there's no danger to the public. There wasn't much (laughs) online about Harvey. I did see a Bangor... Of course not. I mean, there not even anything talking to friends or saying who he is. I did see a Bangor Daily News story from 2011 that his house had burned down, and he and his wife weren't home at the time, but I couldn't read it because, as I said earlier, the Bangor Daily News makes it such a fucking (laughs) thing in the ass to resubscribe. It took me about 10 minutes, and this thing kept coming up that made me afraid that it was some kind of bot and my card information was gonna be stolen. So I didn't bother no wonder people don't read fucking newspapers.
0: Forty-six and forty-seven domestic violence, November twenty-fifth was that when was thanks the twenty fourth. Michael Willette sixty nine and Aramine Mayo 93 of Denmark, Maine were stabbed to death. Zara Jones, fifty three, was charged with murder. While she is described as their caretaker, Willette was Jones's boyfriend. And Mayo was her mother. They all lived at Jones's house. Someone called police and asked them to do a welfare check on someone at the house. When police arrived, Jones reportedly told them that will let out-of-state hunting and that Mayo was at the hospital. November 28th, article said her attorney had requested a mental health evaluation and the state asked for a harness hearing to have her held without bail. More than a month later, we can't find anything more about yeah. it.
1: All the, like, at least the TV news stories were, like, the caretaker kills this man and woman. Yeah. And nobody is, like, wait, that's her boyfriend and her mother, and it's domestic violence. It's all, like, oh, this woman is just the caretaker of these people. And it's,
0: like, they went with what they first heard from the police, and then no one bothered to find out more about it.
1: Right. Number 48, another domestic violence, murder-suicide Gun. November 26th, Amy Nickerson, 50, of Stockton Springs, was shot to death by her former boyfriend, Lance Lucas, 50, who then shot himself. Nickerson, a mother uh. of two, was a waitress at Anglers in Newport. Where I ate once and was delighted to see on the menu that they serve both Coke and Pepsi. Wow. You know some places That's I went not there after
0: common.
1: I went there after a very successful author event at the Newport Library, not to mm. trivialize this woman's death with my stuff. Nickerson was struggling to break away from what WCSH TV called her abusive relationship with her ex-boyfriend. Mm. Maureen says you mean her abusive that,
0: boyfriend.
1: Exactly. It's not an abusive relationship, it's an abusive boyfriend. Her mother Barb Nickerson said she and her husband did their best to warn their daughter about how dangerous the relationship was. WCSH said Nickerson struggled to separate herself from the nearly 7-year abusive relationship was ongoing and again this is something that once again minimizes the role of the abusive man. Yes. The relationship wasn't dangerous. Lance Lucas was dangerous. Yes, exactly. A relationship wasn't abusive. Lance Lucas was abusive. Yes. Nickerson's co-worker, Connor Grindle, who was an assistant manager at Angler, said he will miss Nickerson's laugh and her smile the most. She was always happy. She was a very bright person. She'd come in with the biggest smile, and she lit up the whole room, Connor said. That's how I know I'll never get killed. I know, because you don't light up a room. Neither do I. I dim a room when I walk in. And I don't
0: make friends wherever I go. I don't. All that stuff. Right.
1: Like, people say she never met a stranger. I only (laughs) meet strangers. I know. Strangers ever. (laughs) But back to, I just want to go back. To, to that, when you say it's the relationship, it makes it sound like the woman is somehow at fault. Exactly. I think if more people in the circle of women who are doing this realize it's not the relationship, it's the guy yes then i think they'd be more equipped to help her to stay safe well i
0: wish they wouldn't say yeah it's just like a euphemism or something i'm not a euphemism right. but it's just not it's well not i think accurate. there's always some
1: implication that it, somehow the woman why won't she get away why won't she i mean leave, but why blah, can't blah, blah. It,
0: it's the writing like right. you were saying.
1: Yeah. The but the writing comes from a place of doing ignorance.
0: It. Number 49 was November 28th. It was a busy week there. Yep. Clarence James Pearson, 61, of Westbrook, was found dead in his apartment on Mechanic Street. Police said it was a homicide, but as usual, didn't release a cause of death. Police charged Deng Malul on December 3rd. Malool is being held at Cumberland County Jail, and this case is expected to go before a grand jury this month, so few details have been released. Christina Hill told the Press Herald that she met Pearson 12 years ago when she and her children were homeless. She doesn't understand why anyone would want to hurt him. She said Pearson was always there to help her. He took them in for two months, then let her do laundry at his house after she moved into her own apartment. She said he was kind, caring, loved his family, and kept to himself. I'm just shocked.
1: Number 50, November 28th, Edwin Weeks of Fairfield was found stabbed to death in his apartment. Raheem Goodwin, 22 of Benton, was charged with murder. Goodwin had been charged with assaulting Weeks a few days before Hmm. he was killed. Little else has been released, and you kind of wonder if he was charged with assaulting him, why was he free to go kill him?
0: Exactly. And the last of the year, number 51, that we know of. Mm Mm-hmm. December 28th, Angela Bragg, 52 of Waterville, was stabbed to death at Damon's Beverage Barn. Co worker Al Hubiak, 20, was arrested on New Year's Eve in Arkansas after a chase and a shootout. He was shot by police, but his injuries aren't life threatening. Little other information has been released yet.
1: I saw a notification before we started recording that he was out of. The hospital and in custody because he, you know, had been shot. And his name's Spritel. The TV had struggled with pronouncing that. And I was think of Speed Racer. Yes. His little brother. Or was it Trixie's little brother? Spritel. Candy. And I'm not talking I about don't the movie. Know. I'm talking about the cartoon.
0: It was one of the first animes.
1: Yes, it I was. Think. Racer X and how Racer, Racer X was his brother. Remember yeah, was,
0: Racer X? I just remember they still, and the spoiler. animes still do it. They they would go ah, and then ah, mouth would just stay open ah. ah.
1: Yeah, and I think we've said enough about all these murders that we can just let it sit with people, and I don't think we have to. Yes, that's making
0: it on. me. I know, but so it's depressing. God, can you imagine if you lived in a
1: city that had like three hundred a year? I know you'd get used to it. I guess. But we have... um, Lucky we live in Maine. And coming up soon, sometime in the next few months, our sister Liz will make a guest appearance. Yes,
0: Liz hasn't been on for a while. Her shows are always well-received. They
1: are well-received. Her last one was the Artifact Stealer guy.
0: What that Lizzie did? Yeah. Yeah. A while ago.
1: Yeah, it was sometime last year. And you're up next.
0: Yes. And I think I'm going to do one that was on the list a homicide from 2022. With a twist. I hope I can find enough stuff on it.
1: Well, hopefully you can, but if you can't, you'll do what you can. Yes. And okay, so that's it. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for listening. Good night. The podcast.
0: <laughs> you would do if you had nothing better to do. Why are you laughing? Why did you forgot your lied?
1: it's your line and my internet sucks tonight it's, it does but that's your line and it has been for seven years we've had this argument before what is i say the podcast my internet keeps,
0: you keep freezing say it oh i was seeing if you're moving sometimes or not. i'm
1: just sitting very still <laughs> <I
0: don't... laughs> i'm sorry i got scared oh were you frozen no you don't
1: know <laughs> math I- what no you f- i wait for you to i don't feel frozen <laughs> what sorry you were frozen
0: i was looking I was at my take watch take a picture of you no it was fr- when you were frozen you were like <laughs> sorry okay i'll start over why why
1: we're never gonna get we're we're gonna be here all fucking night (laughs) (laughs) i don't know why you think it's so funny you keep freezing why is that funny (laughs) i don't know i don't
0: know okay Okay, it's pissing me off okay you have to repeat (laughs) that part (laughs) i don't think it's funny
1: it's like I've read this. I'll give me something times. to laugh okay. about. And for you, but I, I...
0: did want to say about. Um, <laughs> you look like a ghost.
1: I didn't. We just talked about it, and we talked about talking oh. about it too. We talked... <laughs> we had this exact same conversation. <laughs> am I frozen? I think I am. Are you being? Oh, no, you froze. You freeze before I freeze. Okay, I think you freeze before I freeze. We all freeze. No, because you're Fry moving cream. now and you were frozen. Yes, you were frozen. Are you unfrozen? My frozen. Are we frozen? Frozen. If I knew any of the songs from Frozen, I'd sing them. But I don't know any.
0: Let it go. Yeah, Let it that. go. Yeah.